This week on Myths and Legends, we're back in Greek mythology for the story of Antigone, the daughter of Oedipus, and a family that should really just get as far away from each other as possible. Seriously, family reunions only end in disaster. For the creature this week, you'll see why you should really take a day off work. Because if you don't, fire snakes will rain down from the sky. This is Myths and Legends, episode 147b, Authority. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on this podcast, Oedipus, the king of Thebes, was exiled, and his sons, Ateocles and Polynices, took over only to fight for the throne in a battle in which both of them died. The throne then passed to Creon, the brother of the former queen of Thebes. Creon ended up taking sides in the previous conflict by decreeing that Eteocles will be buried with honors, while his brother, Polynices, will be left to rot in the sun. Everyone loved this, except for Antigone, recently returned and the sister to the defeated brothers. Antigone was the one who had just stolen out of the city, under the cover of darkness, to do what was right, and defy the new king's order she would bury her fallen brother. Ismene, Antigone's sister, who we've barely mentioned up to this point, rocked back and forth in the darkness. This was it. She was alone now. The curse was apparently real. There was something broken in Oedipus's family something that sought destruction, hungered for it. Her mother, brothers, and now her sister. Antigone had explained why they'd venture beyond the walls the moment the warm summer air brushed her face. She was going to bury Polynices. Ismene's eyes opened wide. She understood how Antigone felt. Polynices was her brother too, and the thought of him wandering the world for all eternity, never able to rest, made her shudder. But there was nothing they could do. The gods would understand. Their knees were forced to bend to a tyrant, their uncle, King Creon. The day had grown dark, and it had happened the moment Creon put forth an edict about the body. But it was revealed to be much more than that. It was an edict against even tacit support of Polynices' rebellion. Before nightfall, those who had recently been in support of his cause, even those just vocal about opposing Creon's ascension, well, they began to quiet down and the most vocal began disappearing. Ismene rested her hand on her sister's shoulder. Antigone was just a woman, and Creon had placed armed guards around the body. Please, let's go home, she begged. Ismene had never seen a person look so disgusted. She sneered. Just a woman? The gods had given them the laws that said her brother should be honored, and Antigone would do the right thing, no matter what the king said, no matter the cost. She'd show them what a woman could do. With that, Antigone turned and disappeared into the shadows, slipping away from the glow of the torchlights toward the dimly lit battlefield beyond. In the distance, soldiers huddled around a small campfire, allowing only the crows to pass. So now, Ismene sat in her room by herself. Antigone could never do it, of course. She couldn't drag a full-grown, fully-armored body away from the battlefield and bury him, Shouts from the streets broke the dam of tears, and Ismene ran to the window to see even more guards running out the gate, 
toward Polynices' body, toward Antigone. Minutes later, inside the castle, Creon slammed his fist down on the table, his rage causing all the nobles standing behind him to shudder. A thin layer of dirt over Polynices was all it took to undermine his whole reign. Of course, when he realized who defied him and gave Polynices a burial, he understood that it was not only his reign on the line, but his entire dynasty. Antigone. And here she stood, dirt caked onto the sweat on her arms and shoulders. Did you do this? asked Creon. I did, Antigone replied. The king bit his lip. Why? Had she heard the edict? Didn't she know that this city, his reign, was dangling by a thread? What's wrong with her? Antigone looked him square in the eye. She followed the law of Zeus. Not some... She looked him up and down. King. The edict was clear. and She knew what burying her mother's son meant. But leaving him unburied? That would have grieved her. For this, there was no regret. And if he judged her a fool, well, perhaps it was because a fool was the judge. Both Creon and Antigone heard a snort rippling through the nobles, just trying to suppress a laugh. Creon turned to them, face contorted in anger, and they threw up their hands. Apologies. That line? Ooh, savage. Antigone took the lead. Look, we all die. That's the only thing we can be sure of in this life. So if I die for doing what's right, all the better. Is there anything more you want from me, other than my life? No? Good. Because this conversation sucks and I hate talking to you. So get on with it already. Make me a martyr. But Creon shook his head. Oh, no, no, no. She'd die. But she wouldn't be a martyr. The people of Thebes were on his side. They loved him. Antigone grinned. Really? Okay, well, this shouldn't come as a newsflash, but when people are afraid Creon will use the state against them to boost his fragile ego, they're gonna say nice things to his face. The nobles shook their heads. No, no, what was Antigone talking about? They loved Creon and all of his new scary laws. Antigone narrowed her eyes. The mob cheered. All the intelligent, honorable people held their tongues out of fear of a tyrant who made up the law and then bludgeoned people to death with it. But they'd soon see the true strength of Creon and that they had nothing to fear. Good luck. The nobles shifted uncomfortably. Fortunately for them, but unfortunately for Creon and Antigone, the awkwardness was interrupted. The door flew open and Ismene burst into the room, her arms coated in dirt as well. She did it. She buried her brother. She deserved to die. Antigone facepalmed. Hi. Nice of Ismene to show up. Yeah, you're like 20 minutes too late on this one, Creon gushed. They caught Antigone in the act. There will be no saving her precious sister, valiant though it may be. Then, a thought struck him. Ismene had been in her room, right? She nodded, and no charges had been brought up regarding Polynices' body, which meant the city was still ignorant of it, unless they knew about it ahead of time. Ismina swallowed hard and took a step back. Creon whipped around to face Antigone. Hmm. So Ismina saw something, but she didn't say something, and now Polynices was on his way to Hades. That sounded an awful lot like she actually was an accomplice. And while he hadn't expressly talked about that in the edict, that sounded like something that should be punishable by death, right? Well, good enough for him. They both die. Wait, Creon, the noble spoke up. 
it's your family. It's your nieces. One is your son's fiance. Really, everyone would understand you not tearing his own bride from him. No, Creon spat. Thebes is strong. I am strong. I spoke and I made the law. My law matters. Creon turned to Antigone and Ismene. It matters to everyone. He drew closer to Antigone and Ismene with a smile. The breath of Hades pressing close to kill can make the bravest turn and turn the bravest will. The guards paused, nodding to one another. Hmm, yeah, pretty solid rhyming couplet. Then, without further hesitation, they seized the women by the wrists and led them away. You can't learn without being wrong sometimes, without failure. As difficult as it is for me to say, Dad, you're wrong. Heyman dared, and then stepped back, swallowing hard. His voice cracked with the final words. He had found his father and wanted to know what was happening to Antigone, why his fiance was in prison for something Creon himself knew went against the will of the gods. What he got was a long speech about respect for authority, how if Creon allowed sedition in his house, how could he hope to fight it in the street? He would never allow someone to flout authority. All he demanded was complete and unswerving submission to the state under pain of death or torture. Was that too much to ask? The ever-present nobles behind him shook their heads. Nope, not at all. And they just wanted to reaffirm, once again, how much they loved Creon and constantly self-policing their own speech so they didn't die. Haman sighed. Being wise meant being flexible. Everyone made mistakes. You could learn without loss of dignity, without weakness. Cran agreed with that, yeah, definitely. But he wasn't wrong. And Haman was his son. The boy was young. He'd learned the way of the world in time. Haman ventured again. It was merit. Not how many years he lived that mattered. People were crying out in the street for Antigone against Creon's laws. Whose side are you on anyway? Creon spat. Haman threw up his hands. He was on Creon's side. Everyone was on Creon's side. Everyone wanted Thebes to pull itself from the ashes of war, and everyone wanted Creon to be a good ruler. But he wasn't. Creon shook his head. He couldn't believe this. He was only doing his duty. He was only trying to hold things together. Haman smiled a sad smile. If his father truly believed that, then he was truly lost. Haman slammed his fist down on the table again, jarring the room. Haman, his son, the one who was supposed to helm his dynasty, was taking the side of that trollop and a criminal over his father, his king? Well, Haman would never marry her now. She would be executed, and when she no longer existed, there would be no other side but Creon's. Haman's hand rested on his sword. The last bit of wisdom he would dispense to his father was to please. Be careful. Violence begets violence. Creon eyed his son's body language, and his face grew grim. Was Haman, his own son, threatening him? Haman laughed. Oh my gods, no. Not at all. You can't threaten nothing. Creon's fists turned white and his face purple. That was enough. He would kill Antigone, and he'd do it right in front of Haman. Haman watched as the woman he loved bled and died. 
and he learned a hard lesson about respect for his father and his city. Haman stood firm, unchanged. We'll see, won't we? Hand still on his sword, the prince left the stunned king standing by his nobles, the men who desperately wanted to soothe the anger of their king, lest it turn on them. We'll see Creon follow through with his plan, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Resolute to the end, Antigone locked eyes with Creon and bore into them as the soldiers rolled a stone over the mouth of her tomb, the darkness consuming those eyes those eyes that erupted into tears the moment the stone was in place. That last look had almost been enough to make Creon relent. But in the end, he did not. And it was done. Antigone would die. Creon was sure Esmine hadn't helped her sister, and so he released her. But the day's events left him on edge. Antigone, for all she had done, had been Creon's niece. That strayed a bit too far into the realm of killing a family member, so he'd come up with another idea he'd seal Antigone into a tomb with a rope and a knife. That way, he didn't kill her. His nobles congratulated his decision the way they congratulated all of his decisions, and he beamed. He walked back to his palace, and when he walked in the door, he froze. How did you get in here? Tiresias, the old, blind prophet, groaned. Why was this so hard for people to understand? He was a prophet, okay? He could see the future. And when you knew who was going to be where and you had a magic staff from Zeus, it was really easy to sneak into places. This is really not the point of this at all. He was here because he had just come from advising King Adrastus of Argos. Creon interrupted him with a smile, thanking him then for all this. Worked out well. Tiresias pursed his lips. Yeah, that wasn't for him. All right, are they going to do this thing or what? Creon froed his brow. What thing? Tiresias stood with another groan. You know, the thing where Tiresias says a prophecy, he misinterprets it as Tiresias calling him a fool, they argue for a while before Tiresias gets tired of it, drops a prophecy bomb, and walks out. That thing? Are you calling me a fool, charlatan? Creon growled. Oh, cool. Here we go then. After a long back and forth that included Creon's 
spewing vitriol at the prophet, while Tiresias was seriously just going through the motions at this point, Creon mockingly asked Tiresias to tell him the prophecy. A corpse for a corpse, Tiresias said. You want a solid, stable state, and you'll have it. But in return, you'll get a corpse for a corpse. Honoring the dead was the hallowed ground where even the gods didn't meddle. But Creon went in with both hands. He shouldn't be surprised then if, in Hades, Zeus's furies awaited him for this. Creon's past would come for him, and it was his choice what that past would be. The king forced a smile and opened his mouth, but Tiresias stopped him. Liar, charlatan, conjurer of cheap tricks, he knew everything that Creon was going to say. Creon would learn some humility. The only question was, would it be too late? The prophet started hobbling out the door. He said that Oedipus chose to mock and banish him. And look how that worked out. With that, Tiresias smiled. All right, he was done here. Done with Creon, done with Thebes, done with this whole family. It felt like a greasy, incest-laden weight was lifted off his chest. Hey, peace out, guys. No hard feelings. And so, whistling as he walked, Tiresias left, leaving Creon standing there, all of his nobles behind him, waiting to see what his reaction would be, before they decided what their opinion was, until one of them actually spoke up. You know, I'm just going to say it. This guy's batting a thousand. He has never been wrong. It might be worth it to, you know, check on Antigone. I guess this is ancient Greece, and the only thing more dangerous than ignoring a prophecy might just be following a prophecy. So, I'm just going to circle back to standing here quietly. Creon turned, staring at the man, his brow darkening. And then he turned and sprinted from the room. He had to get to her. He had to save Antigone. As he rushed through the palace, he called for servants, anyone strong enough to move aside the stone. He only wanted Thebes to be strong, is what he told himself. It's what he told everyone. But it wasn't the truth. The truth was that he was scared. He was scared of this newly minted power slipping away from his grasp as quickly as it had fallen into his lap. He was scared of looking weak, of being weak, of not just looking at himself and knowing it down to his core, he had known that for years, but he was scared of everyone else finding out. He took what he thought was strength and pushed it to the limit. He had turned his home into a budding authoritarian state because he didn't want to go back on one edict. So now he ran, and as he ran, he prayed. He prayed that it wouldn't be too late, that Antigone was still alive, and that his son would forgive him. When he arrived at the tomb, he called out to Antigone to wait. He was changing his mind. She was forgiven. Polynices could be buried after all. There would be no response, he knew, even if Antigone had heard him. The stones were thick. They were meant to keep everyone out. The people, everyone who had supported Antigone, flocked to the tomb as Creon led the way, wedging a log beneath a massive stone and pushing. Together they strained, sweat soaking their tunics, and the stone rolled free. Creon smiled and called out into the darkness. Eyes adjusting, he saw them. He saw Antigone's feet. He ran to her and lifted her up, but it was too late. She dangled from the ceiling of the tomb. 
she had done it shortly after they sealed it. Reaching over, he cut the rope himself. It was then that a shadow darkened the mouth of the cave. Crayon, tears streaking his cheeks, turned and saw Haman, his son. The king held up his hands. It. Haman shook his head and held up a finger. Creon had gotten what he wanted. It was what he threatened, right? And taking he dead right in front of him? It seemed that Creon had won. Choked with grief, and still freshly alarmed at the ominous prophecy, Creon tried to speak, but Haman kept going. It was a political match, yes, but he loved her. And why did she have to die? Creon's ego, so his name would be respected, feared? Haman drew his sword and Creon stepped back, stumbling slightly on a rock. Haman smiled. If he killed Creon, he would have the throne. He would be king, but he would forever be living in a house built on this foundation. He could spend his life running from Creon's name, but it would forever be pinned to him. As long as Haman lived, Creon won. Haman took a step forward, his sword pointed at his father's chest, and then he turned it and plunged it into his own stomach. He did it until he couldn't do it any longer, and then he dropped to the ground. With his final strength, he crawled. Cram bent down to take his son into his arms, but Haman swatted him away, mouthing for him to move. When the servants dared to enter the darkness of the tomb, they followed the blood smear, and found Creon crouched and crying next to his son. Haman had died, holding Antigone. In the play, Haman's story ends with corpse wrapped in love with corpse he lies, married not in life, but in Hades. Creon stumbled back to the palace. It wasn't long before a servant rushed into the room to find Creon just standing there, his son's blood on his hands. The servant lowered his head and made the announcement that he had come in there to deliver. Eurydice, Creon's wife and queen, was dead. With news of what Creon had driven their son to do, she no longer wanted to live in a world without him or with the man who had led him there. Her final words were curses for the king. Creon crumbled. His son's demise had crushed him, and this news crushed him anew. He sobbed, doubling over on the floor. He looked to his own dagger, but he turned away. It would make their deaths meaningless. Everything he'd done, well, he'd said it was for Thebes. And if he took his life now, Thebes would crumble too. The thing that had taken away his family now tethered him to life a constant reminder of what he had lost, what it had cost. The play ends in a scene where Creon cries out, asking where he can look for hope when everything he touches is lost, when death has leapt upon his life. There's a chorus that leaves us with the following. Where wisdom is, there happiness will crown, a piety that nothing will corrode, but high and mighty words and ways are flogged to humbleness till age, beaten to its knees, at last is wise.
said that after the events of this play, Creon was a good king, that he put his budding authoritarianism to rest and was able to take criticism, admit when he made mistakes, and that he grew because of them, because he had learned the cost of doing otherwise. In a later play by a different playwright, Creon is killed when a rival king attacks his kingdom, but then that king is also killed when the sons of the seven, the heroes from last week, with a penchant for lifting in arts and crafts, returned with Theseus, the king of Athens, on one of his last campaigns to avenge their fathers. In that version, they take the city and place the son of Polynices with the princess of Argos on the throne. There's a lot to be said about this play, but one of the things I think is interesting and frankly kind of cool is how Creon doesn't take his own life. In ancient Greek tragedies, suicide seems to be the go-to response for everything from losing everyone who's ever mattered to you down to, I don't know, stubbing your toe. With three in this story alone, it's enough to leave you with kind of a sick feeling. But Creon didn't take his own life. He remained. He was in pain, no doubt, for a long time. It probably stayed with him for the rest of his life. But he stayed. And he grew. And the people around him, his city, and his world were all better off because he made that choice. Next week... It's one of the most requested stories for the show, the story of the Monkey King and the start of the journey to the West. If you've never heard it, it is amazing. I'm so excited to finally start it. I want to say thanks to Hopleaf70, CoolCake97, Mike Hirsch, Kelsey772, Rain Chaser, ClueCK81, Captain Asia, 1964 Greg, Saruman2.0, Trojan72, Endomatrix, SDC 668, Albi Ilba, Dead Judge, and Gregor McAlpin for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for the reviews. And if you'd like to leave one, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. For less than the cost of a ridiculous looking zip up portable infrared sauna that, quote, makes it easy to enjoy your sauna everywhere you go. You can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that you can enjoy virtually anywhere you could take your portable sauna and won't catch on fire after the third use. For more info, check out support.mythpodcast.com. The creature, or creatures this time, are what happens to you if you don't keep the Sabbath day. They're from Ireland. Throughout the Middle Ages, Something called the Sunday Letter was a work that was found throughout the Christianized cultures throughout the world, from Ethiopia to Iceland. Essentially, it's an elaborated and Christianized form of the commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. This version, the Sunday Letter, was said to be written by Jesus in heaven, with either his blood or gold, those being two very different things, and then sent down via angel to earth. The cool thing about the anonymously written Irish version is that it has monsters. Because you thought you were going to just knock out a few hours of work on a Sunday and not be punished by iron locusts or something? No. There are five monsters that will make your life a, quite literal, living hell. The first one is the Bruca. The Bruca are beings that come, vaguely, from the East. Though, really, from medieval Ireland, what wasn't East? They are men with fiery eyes and spiky iron hair that mess with your vineyards. Yeah, they just come and cut your vineyard vines and take away the fruit to their lairs. Oh, and before you get too scared of them, 
They take the grapes away by running on them, like they're a barrel or something. So they're like maybe an inch tall. The second creature is just a locust with iron wings that will eat anything that gets in its way. And by anything, the author apparently means just wheat fields. Despite the iron wings, these ones actually seem less harmful than a normal locust. The third creature is a horse. Well, okay, it's what happens to you if you ride a horse on a Sunday. Basically, there's a horse waiting for you in hell. And yes, this one is on fire. And also, yes, you will feel that when you're forced to ride it forever. I'm not sure if this one has been updated. And if I drive on Sunday, I'll be forced to, I don't know, sit in a flaming Prius for all eternity or something. The fourth creature is what brought me to this whole Sunday letter thing in the first place. It's the Nathrag Lumning. They're flying snakes, whose power pretty much makes up for the other four. First, as someone who hates snakes to an almost Indiana Jones level, flying snakes are enough for me. Not enough for the Sunday letter though, because they also breathe sulfurous fire and will burn families and nations alike. Oh, and their arrival is a precursor to non-Christian invaders who will come to take the locals hostage and sacrifice them to foreign gods. Yeah, God's not joking around about you taking a day off. The fifth one is both kind of the worst and also not the worst at all. Apparently in the depths of hell, huge, horrible monsters exist who only want to rise to the surface of the earth and punish people for breaking the Sabbath. But they're also incapable of leaving hell because God's mercy towards humanity keeps them in their place. It's like me saying that if you mess with the stuff in my house, I have the rock in my basement and he's totally gonna come beat you up. But I won't let him because I'm such a nice guy. But he could, but he also won't. Though I mean, I guess according to this, God does have a cosmic equivalent of the rock, which I feel like is just a slightly smaller version of the rock who only wants to come up and deal out divine justice that is only being held back by God. So I guess I should probably be thankful. I have to say, these monsters seem pretty effective. Like, I don't want fire snakes raining down from the sky to destroy my family and nation, but, you know, maybe the anonymous author went uh, a little too big on that one. Little guys riding grapes? Kind of adorable, and easy to say it happened, when maybe animals just came and ate the grapes. Also, can you prove that the locusts that ruined your wheat didn't have iron wings? No? Hmm. And the promise of a fire horse and the threat of monsters that definitely exist, but you'll definitely never see, are easy to get by. But what happens when Bob decides to knock out that report before the Monday meeting, and hey, fire snakes didn't rain down from the sky, because that, that would be news. That's not something you can fake. Still, though, fire snakes sound terrifying, so if you can, a day off is always good for you. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are more links to music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. There are over 2 million burglaries reported each year, yet only 1 in 5 homes have home security. Maybe that's because most companies don't make it easy. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice, hands down. Simply Safe protects your whole home every window, room, and door with 24-7 monitoring for a fraction of the cost. Visit simplysafe.com legends and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've really got nothing to lose. Go now to simplysafe.com legends so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening. 
and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.